Lots of channels, nothing to watch, especially if you're searching for the truth. It's time to interrupt your regularly scheduled programs with something actually worth watching. Salem News Channel, straightforward, unfiltered, with in-depth insight and analysis from the greatest collection of conservative minds like Hugh Hewitt, Mike Gallagher, Sebastian Gorka, and more. Find truth. Watch 24-7 on SNC.TV and on Local Now, Channel 525. You can do what you want to us, but we're not going to sit here and listen to you badmouth the United States of America. Gentlemen! Hey, everyone, this is the Weekend Answer Show. Garrett Fay, Jim Righeimer, talking about the biggest stories of the week. A ton of news to get to, including President Trump pleads not guilty to 34 felony counts in New York on Tuesday. We'll break that down, including Trump's response. Uh, Bragg gave his own response at a press conference. Then the Biden administration tries to whitewash their debacle in Afghanistan. And then in Tennessee, the legislature kicks out two lawmakers, and now there's some blowback there. And then here at home, interesting stuff, Governor Newsom goes to Florida, Arkansas, and Alabama. And then Kevin McCarthy, the Speaker of the House, welcomes the president of Taiwan to the Reagan Library. And then a lot of news about transgender issues from the Biden administration, the Supreme Court, and then some various states. But, Riggy, starting with the biggest story of the week and the biggest story of probably the last couple decades, which is former President Trump indicted by a Manhattan grand jury, 34 counts, basically of misstating business records. We now know what was in the indictment. We now know what Bragg thinks about it. And I think before we get to some of the audio, whether you think the indictment is bogus, whether you think it's legit, whether you hate or love Trump, the issue is it's still kind of bizarre and kind of banana republic stuff for one administration basically to have orchestrated the indictment and the arrest of a former president who is the opposition party's leading candidate for president next time around. Yeah, this is total banana republic type stuff. That's exactly what this is. Um, and the fact that they actually got to this point and did it, I, I don't. I don't think they understand the damage that has been done. You know, I, I just don't think they get they get it that people are going to look at this differently. I've talked about how people felt the election was stolen, and I don't mean stolen in the sense of they 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 tampered with ballots. I, I mean stolen in the sense of how the process was done. When Zuckerberg spends a half billion dollars and gives grants to register our voters in Democrat counties to help them get out the vote. I mean, people just kind of go, that's just not fair. That's not right. That's why it's been stolen. Now you take those same people and said, oh, by the way, your candidate has been indicted. If he's found guilty, he won't be able to be president of the United States. The process goes on forever. The the independent voters, let me tell you something, uh, the Democrats clearly think that D Donald Trump will be the uh, the nominee now because of this, but they also think that the independent voters will not go with them, period, and that's how they're going to win this race back. But this is a disaster to a level and, and a portion to the whole country over time that I don't think anybody realizes. Well, and the thing, too, is I think even honest people on the left who follow the legalities of this, which we'll get into in a second, they realize even if you hate Donald Trump – this was not the case to bring because it is so weak, it's so stale, it doesn't rise to the level of a felony. So here's what happened, big picture. 
So Alvin Bragg, the DA of Manhattan, comes in and basically says, I'm going to go after Trump. He, you know, he looks at this and goes, no, nah, not enough there, there. One of the Biden people gets placed at the Department of Justice. You know, he pushes this thing and given, you know, DOJ passes on this. But the Manhattan DA gets all revved up. And what they do is they take each of the reimbursement payments from the Trump organization to Michael Cohen for the payment to Stormy Daniels. And they consider each aspect of the payment, the payment, you know, the debit of it, the bookkeeping. Each of those is a separate felony, which is a no-no. But the big problem, Riggy, is... You know, this is a misdemeanor. They want to get it into a felony by identifying a bigger state law crime or federal crime. The indictment doesn't do that. So if you're Trump, you're sitting here reading this indictment where you basically have these minor payments for the hush money payment to Stormy Daniels, which in and of itself is not illegal. And yet now you're trying to you're being told you're going to be liable for 34 felonies, but you're not even told what the felony is because the indictment doesn't identify any state law felonies or any federal felonies, this is really messed up. Yeah, but it, look what they did. They got the news, they got him arrested, they got him indicted, and they didn't even say what it was. But they still got done what they wanted to get done. If they had said what the felony was, because there is no felony they can find here, if they said that, then it would have been dead. So that, so just like keep your mouth shut and keep on going forward and see what you can do with this thing. But like you said, it'd be like there's a, a gun robbery and somebody's shooting, and every time they pull the trigger, it's another felony. That's not how they do it. They sit there and say, you were shooting somebody and you're a bad guy and that's what you get charged with. Yeah, but, they don't stack them like they did it here. And it's the same thing. And then Trump even talked about his one executive that worked for Trump for a long time who just pled guilty recently. The deal that they, they went to him with was you give us Trump, you get nothing. If you plead guilty, you get 90 days. Uh, if you don't, you get 10 years. So a <laughs> 75-year-old man, you get 10 years. This is the kind of stuff that drives you nuts when you, when you realize the kind of power some of these prosecutors can have that don't look at justice. They just look at power. And they can throw 20-year sentences at you and say, well, or you can get three months or you just plead guilty. Many people plead guilty because the chance of going to prison for 20 years for the rest of your life, if you're 75 right. years old, is ridiculous, yeah. and it shouldn't be done. So here's a little bit of the audio. Here's the DA Bragg on his sanctimonious effort to not allow and normalize serious criminal conduct, J.J. Clip 1. These are felony crimes in New York State, no matter who you are. We cannot and will not normalize serious criminal conduct. You know, th th he does that. It's never been charged. It's just not there. And they go on, there and, the and the spin they did is, it doesn't matter who you are, you're not above the law. And everybody from MSNBC to CNN to NPR had the same line. Nobody's above the law. Nobody's above the law. It's not about being above the law. It's about there's no justice here whatsoever uh, to go ahead and charge this stuff. Yeah, so here's a little bit of Trump's response, J.J. Clip number four. And this is where we are right now. I have a Trump-hating judge with a Trump-hating wife and family whose daughter worked for Kamala Harris and now receives money from the Biden-Harris campaign and a lot of that. We recently had another trial and the same judge told the fine man who worked for me for many, many years that if you admit your guilt, you will be in jail for 90 days. But if you don't, if we go through a trial and you're found guilty, you're going away for 10 years and maybe longer, which for a 75-year-old man with a great family really means life. What the prosecutors and judge did to that man, I will never forget, because it's right out of the old Soviet Union. That's where we are. 
Yeah, and exactly what I just talked about before. When, when you have prosecutors, especially this prosecutor who is basically taking every felony, over half the felonies that he has, he's dropped them down to misdemeanors. misdemeanors for average criminals. For average yeah. criminals. He's just thrown it out. And then he turns around here, but only one person, Donald Trump, does he take a misdemeanor, if in fact it even happened, and moves it up to a felony. And the problem is he doesn't even identify the felony. So here's Andy McCarthy. He's at National Review, but he was a former federal prosecutor forever. So he here's him on some of the legal defects of this indictment. JJ, clip number three. Neil, if the judge does his job right here, <clears throat> the case should be dismissed and it actually should be dismissed quickly. Uh, I agree with what my friends have said, but I, I think this is actually worse than what we anticipated because what we anticipated was that they were trying to bootstrap a misdemeanor, which, by the way, they'd have a good deal of difficulty proving if it was just the misdemeanor. But they need to show that he concealed another crime in supposedly falsifying the business records. And what we've thought up until now is that they were he was going to use that as an avenue to enforce federal campaign finance law. Now, maybe that's what he's planning to do. But he's got to tell us what he's planning to do. And more importantly, he's got to tell Donald Trump. So I think this indictment, even before you get to the statute of limitations and whether he's got jurisdiction to enforce federal law, I would dismiss it on its face because it fails to state a crime. <laughs> Here, it fails to state a crime 34 times. Yeah, so on its face, I hear what he's saying, but this is in New York where Trump got literally, you know, three, four, five percent of the vote. These people think he's guilty. There's no way a judge can live in New York and throw this thing out. No, and the trial judge isn't going to do it because he, it's too early. But the thing is, if you listen to some of the commentary here, what's likely to happen going forward is a whole lot of nothing. Because what came out of the hearing was that the judge at the next hearing for December, so nothing's going to happen the entire rest of the year before the court here, and then if I'm Trump's lawyers, I'm going to file motions to throw this thing out. The judge will set those for hearing a couple months later. He'll issue, Then he'll hear, have the hearing. Then a couple months later, he might issue his ruling. And then it's going to go up on appeal to the New York Appellate Court, the New York Supreme Court. And then it's probably going to the U.S. Supreme Court. So by the time they rule on this, it might be next year at some point. So the chance of Trump actually being tried for this before the presidential election happens, I'm guessing, is slim to none. But like you said, Riggy, this isn't about that. This is simply about tarring and feathering Trump so he's so unpalatable that the moderates independents that he would need to win in swing states go, we can't stand this guy. Yeah, when they went after him twice to get him impeached, they knew the Senate would never do it. It didn't matter. They wanted the process all the way through. When they did the January 6th you know, hearings over a four-hour event that took over a year, they're still doing hearings. They're getting Mike Pence to go uh, testify. It's still – the whole point is do the process, do the process because when they do polling and they they look at independence. I mean, today, right now, today, you talk to independents, 80 percent of them just say, oh, yeah, he's guilty. He's right. guilty. They don't even know why. They don't care. They just, he, they've been dirtied up so much that they're definitely going to be, you know, done. So, yeah. And the thing, too, is it doesn't really matter what Trump did. All that matters is that they're putting him on trial again. Absolutely. Up next, Biden tries to whitewash the Afghanistan pullout. Tennessee expels some rowdy lawmakers and kids march in favor of gun control. Be right back.
welcome back to the show, Weekend Answer Show. Garrett Fade, Jim Righeimer, it is Easter weekend, so if you're celebrating Easter or if you celebrate the Jewish holiday, we hope that you've had a meaningful holiday. If you don't celebrate any of those holidays, well, then your life is probably meaningless and sad. Um, but we are soldiering on here, talking about the biggest stories of the week, talking about uh, first what the Biden administration did on Thursday late afternoon. They released a report on Afghanistan that was basically a compilation of after-action reports by various federal agencies. Talk about what they did there. Then talk about what happened in Tennessee end of last week, where the Tennessee uh, legislature voted to kick out two members who were part of the protests over gun control in the wake of the shooting at the Covenant School. But, Riggy, starting with the Biden administration, so what we had is a report that they put out, which was basically sort of a compilation of information. It was most definitely not any effort at accountability. We'll get into some of that. But the basic gist is the Biden administration wants to say this is Trump's fault that 13 Americans died, that we had to pull out of Afghanistan, that we had to leave billions of dollars of equipment there, that we had to leave all of our Humvees and tanks. It's all Trump's fault. I guess my question is, why did they do this? What did they gain? I know why they did the report when they did it in terms of burying it in a, you know, basically the end of a week before a holiday weekend. But why do they do this at all? Like, what's the point of this? Well, because you do have to say there's an end to it. So now they can go forward a week from now and the spokesperson can say, oh, we, we've set, we, there's a report. You can just read the report. I don't have to discuss it anymore. So they basically do a report. It's a bunch of BS when they sit there and say, and you'll hear it here, but when they, when they talk about how, oh, we didn't leave the equipment behind. We left it to the government that was in place for about another 35 seconds. <laughs> and then, and then they got overrun. But, you know, we knew they would hold up and fight. It was like a joke. You should never have left that behind. You should have kept the Air Force Base to protect the area to make sure we get people out. Instead, our troops were pulled out in the middle of the night. With no warning to the Afghans. To Afghans. Nobody. Right. People are out there finding out that there's nobody on the Air Force Base. Again, the base that they could control and take care of and keep at. And, you know, Trump wanted to get everybody out of there before. I get it. But in the end, we, you probably would have kept two or 3,000 people there to control it. And we wouldn't have this mess we have right now. Yeah, so here's a question to John Kirby, former Admiral John Kirby. He is a DOD spokesperson for the Biden administration. Uh, JJ, clip number six. Does the president have any regrets about how this withdrawal was carried out? The president's very proud of the manner in which uh, the men and women of the military, the foreign service, the intelligence community, I went on and on and on, uh, conducted this conducted this uh, withdrawal. You guys are proud of the way that this mission was conducted? Does it mean of that? Proud of the fact that we got more than 124,000 people safely out of Afghanistan? You bet. So yeah, there's a lot to be proud of. Yeah, I mean, it's amazing. The spin is we're real proud of all the soldiers and the people on the ground. And then kind of say that they did a good job doing what they were supposed to do. What they don't say is the idiot in the White House and Kirby and his whole crew said, let's just rush out of here in the middle of the night. Let's not have any anything backed up to save people. Let's not keep an airstrip that we can control. Let's just run out of there and do this kind of stuff. But, oh, the troops, they did a really good job. They really worked hard at it. Well, nice try, buddy. Yeah, I mean, how does it work to say the troops did a good job while taking no ownership of the failures that led to the suicide attack? What we talked about two weeks ago was House Republicans held hearings on the Afghan pullout, and one of the witnesses was a sniper who was in the perch at the airport who saw the suicide bomber before he detonated and wasn't allowed to take the guy out. Where's the ownership of that? Well, 
they, they knew they had intelligence. They knew what the person looked like. There were two of them together. They figured that was the person they wanted to take them out. And they got back from, from higher-ups. They said, no, the optics wouldn't be good. Yeah. So so shooting one terrorist is bad, but then 13 Americans get killed. And, and uh, what, 70, 80, 100 uh, Afghanistan oh, yeah. died in that oh, bomb yeah. blow Oh, yeah, tons up. in the suicide. So then the other thing is some of the media rightly asked Kirby, what about all the equipment that we turned over that's now in possession of the Taliban, J.J. Clip 7? Once you turn it over, it's just like what we're doing in Ukraine. We give Ukraine... Uh, Artillery ammunition, Stinger anti-air missiles, Javelin anti-tank. It's their stuff at that point, not the Americans. It's their stuff. That stuff belonged to the Afghans. And so this idea, this argument is just ludicrous that we left millions of dollars of stuff in Afghanistan. We didn't. We turned it over, as the previous administration would have done too, because part of their thinking was they were going to have to turn this material over. It was turned over appropriately uh, and carefully and deliberately with the Afghan National Security Defense Forces. That is such dog poopy. <laughs> such crap. It's just to sit there and say that we would go ahead. First of all, it tells you that in the whole situation in Ukraine, we better not ship anything else to Ukraine because the, the Russians are going to take it. There's no way we'd let the Russians take anything out there. We'd be back out there getting our stuff out. We would never allow them to do it. And then to say, by the way, it wasn't millions of dollars. It was billions, billions of dollars right. of stuff that we just left behind to a government that was going to last for about another 45, 50 seconds and then say, oh, well, we, we gave it to those guys as we rushed out of the airport we left all this equipment you had helicopters and stuff that the people that were leaving were going back with baseball bats and stuff just to break them yeah because they realized that the soldiers on the ground realized the equipment we're going to leave behind we got to do something to immobilize this stuff so this kirby guy spinmeister i i don't know why he's still in government he can make so much more money in corporate america being a spinmeister well don't worry that's next yeah um and then the million dollar question came from fox news reporter peter ducey this is always riggy's favorite question jj clip eight who's gonna get fired over this peter the purpose of the document that we're putting out today uh is to sort of collate the chief reviews and findings of the agencies that did after action reviews um uh, the it's not the, the purpose of it is not Accountability. It's the purpose of it is military leaders. Purpose of it is to study lesson learned. To study lesson learned. I mean, what did we we take another time to do another report to go back out to government say, hey guys, I know we only talked about like kind of what happened. Now we want to place some blame. Of course they have that now, but they didn't put it in the report. But the point is. Nobody's getting fired. No one's going to get fired. It's not like a, you know the regular world out there that, hey, if you screw up, and I mean bad. Yeah. Mo- most employers will always let you screw up and figure things out and do whatever. But when you screw up bad to the point of hundreds of thousands of people, well, lots of people died. Yeah. It's a mess over there, and it was totally okay and fine. But the problem is, what are you going to put in the report? Well, we have a president of the United States that hasn't a clue what's going on, and his staff told him to go do this, so go blame the staff? Right. Well, that's not going to happen. Now, one of the things Kirby did say, we don't have time to play all the audio, but he did say the Biden administration did make some mistakes, which was they didn't plan for the fall of the government. They didn't realize what was already happening in the provinces, and so they, they didn't plan for certain things. So there was a tiny smidge of accountability, but as the issue goes, no one's getting fired. Now, turning to something that happened in Tennessee, this is interesting, Riggy. In the wake of the shooting at the Covenant School, again, three little kids killed, three staff and administrators killed. 
so awful situation. But then a bunch of people were calling for gun control, and three of the lawmakers in Tennessee, again, not congressional representatives, but Tennessee State House, three members were basically helping lead protests. And so the Tennessee House Assembly said, you know what, screw you. They held a vote. They voted two of the three out. Now, what came out of this is two of the three uh, happened to be black. And so there's thoughts that, well, because the third woman, Gloria Johnson, who was white, survived, there's some racism. Again, Justin Jones, Justin Pearson kicked out. But I say if I'm a Tennessee lawmaker, why the hell not kick these losers out? They're disrupting things and bringing chaos to the proceedings. Yeah, and understand, this was on the floor of the house. This this wasn't like outside protesting and with your megaphone. These people had megaphones marching through with with uh, their supporters through the through the house. I mean, I mean basically where the, the the elected officials are there to vote on items. So basically it's like they interrupted a, a governmental proceeding just like January uh, 6 was an interruption of a governmental proceeding. You're out of here and you're gone. So hey, okay, the the good thing is Republicans finally did something. Of course they have a supermajority and they can do it, but even with a supermajority Normally, they would just back off from it. you got to start inflicting pain uh, on the other side because they're going to inflict it on you constantly. They're never going to back off from that. Well, yeah, and this is good because at least they're learning the lesson that if you back down and give in to these people, you've already lost. So the benefit is these guys are out. Yep. When we return, Governor Newsom goes to Florida, Arkansas, Alabama, and Kevin McCarthy welcomes the president of Taiwan to the Reagan Library. Be right back. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the show. Weekend Answer Show, Easter weekend. Hope you and your families are doing well. Hope your kids are enjoying opening their eggs. If you're telling your kids about the Easter bunny, then you're a bad parent because it doesn't exist, just like Joe Biden's hair. Uh, talking about some polling that impacts what Gavin Newsom's doing. So new CNN poll this last, this last week said just a third of Americans think Biden deserves to be reelected, and a majority in his own party would like to see someone else as a Democratic nominee for president this year. So, Riggy, we bring that up because we're talking about our governor, Gavin Newsom, who spent this last week traveling to some deep red states. He didn't go to, you know, purple states. He went to the deep red states, Florida, Arkansas, Alabama. And the reason why I think he's going is I think he might be waiting for Biden to say, I'm not running. Now, you know, Newsom has said he's not running for president. He's going to defer to Biden. But what do we think is going on? Why is Newsom going to these deep red states? Not, he's not going to swing states, by the way. He's going to deep red states. Why? Well, he says he's going to the deep red states because he has to help those people and, and the, the, the blue people that are in the deep red states. They need someone to, to fight for, and he wants to bring up all their issues, and that's why he's doing it. The reality of it is is he needs to continue to be out there to get in the press for whatever reason it is so that when Biden decides he can't run or he you know can't stand up or whatever, there's no way he's going to wait around for Kamala or whatever her name is, Kamala Harris, to, yep. to run. He's going to go make the run for it. Now, who else in the Democratic Party is going to run for it? You're going to find people all over the place. But the problem with Biden doing what he's doing, kind of dragging his feet, but basically saying I'm running, but not saying he's not running, mm-hmm. is that he just takes the oxygen out of the room. He takes the money out of the room. You can't do fundraising. You can't do anything. You can't even put an organization together. The other thing that this does is that 
um, Newsom is put together an organization and they're raising money. Yeah, the to campaign run. for democracy. Right. So what they're doing is they're getting their whole campaign team together and they're raising money under another hat or umbrella. And this is how they get all their staff together to be ready to hit the ground running for the presidential campaign. It's no different than the Clinton Foundation where they basically put aside millions and millions of dollars. I mean, government agencies have said that's not a foundation. It was a political place where you sent money to. Right. But you could keep all your people – employed until the next election came. Yeah. And that's basically what he's doing here, setting up something to hire all the people that he needs for his campaign under some other umbrella. Well, what's interesting is he's leaving California when there's, you know, obviously a lot of bad news. Nothing's going well here. The big budget, you know, surplus turned into a huge deficit. You've got crime just this last week in New York. A young tech mobile uh, mogul was stabbed to death outside his apartment building. So just awful news. So he's not dealing with any of that. you got the homeless thing. You know, he campaigned on this promise to build all these homeless shelters and units. None of that's happening. So he's traveling around. Now, DeSantis from Florida, he's also traveling around on his quote-unquote book tour. But everyone thinks he's running for president. So if Newsom doesn't run because Biden re-ups, what does Newsom do with all these people and staff that he's, you know, building up? Like you said, he's building up goodwill nationwide, but in deep red states. Like So what are they going to be waiting around for if Joe does run next time? What is Newsom doing with his time? It's kind of the same thing, but I mean, he's not an old man, Newsom, so he's going to run for president sooner or later. Yeah. And so you keep the staff together, keep the people together, create a foundation, do whatever it is just to keep people employed. And it's another way. Think about this for a second. You're the governor of a state. There's money they can't give you to sign bills or not sign bills. I'm talking about large corporations who want to get things done. Yep. But they can donate to a foundation sure. that's funding all of your staff because it's like, oh, no, that's just a, a nonprofit foundation that's doing you know good goodwill, good government stuff. And, and Exxon says, gosh, we'd love to give them a couple million dollars. Yeah. Yeah, like Exxon really cares. They just care about the governor being happy. Right. So here's Newsom a little bit. He did an interview. He was asked about uh, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, who signed a new concealed carry bill in Florida, JJ Clip 1. We just had a shooting in Nashville where three you know, young kids, nine-year-olds, uh, were killed there. Days later, Ron DeSantis would quietly loosen gun laws in his state. Can I have your response to that? It makes you sick to your stomach. Talk about, again, weakness masquerading as strength. He didn't even do a public event because he knows that it's not only, I mean, overwhelming majority of people that he claims to represent in this freedom-loving state think this is crazy. I mean, the idea that regardless of any background, any issues, I mean, anything, you don't have any training, you don't have any background, anyone walk in with concealed carry gun anywhere. In, I mean, he's this is insane. Well, to, to Newsom, it is insane to go ahead and say people can do a concealed carry because in California, they're doing everything to say that you cannot carry a gun. Even though the Second Amendment says you can carry a gun, they're doing everything they can. And what they do is they pass laws that they think the Supreme Court's going to say like, oh, you can carry a gun, but you just can't carry it on the road or you can't carry it in a school and you can't carry it at a church and you can't do it in a shopping center and you can't do it on the way to work and you can't do it here, here, here. Well, basically, you can't get from home to work with a gun in the backseat of your car car because it'll be a crime to do it. And of course, the left wants you always to break the law because then they can take away all your guns. Right. Yeah. So that's Newsom. Now, at the same time, Kevin McCarthy from Bakersfield, Speaker of the House, he welcomes the president of Taiwan to the Reagan Presidential Library and simultaneously a congressional delegation of Republicans and Democrats, bipartisan 
goes to Taiwan this week to send a message to China. Riggy, interesting stuff, though, McCarthy having the president of Taiwan at the Reagan Library. What, what do we make of this? I mean, this is kind of high-level diplomacy, but definitely aimed at the Chinese. Well, the problem is, is you've got a president who's not doing these things. You've got a president who's afraid of the Chinese, yet does stupid things to upset them when, when he doesn't have to. So you're just kind of in this bizarre situation, and someone has to be the adult in the room, and that's where McCarthy's coming in and saying, hey, we need to be talking to Taiwan because we need to know that when push comes to shove or something happens, if we're going to go stick our neck out, we want to make sure they're with us. Because understand, there are people in Taiwan who want to be back part of China. So you just want to know where this is all balanced out, and you want to let them know that we are your friend. We are going to stick with you. But let's talk so we have some relationship here if, when it hits the fan. Yeah, and the good thing about this is you know, where this comes from is you see Russia's invasion of Ukraine – and people think the next domino to fall is going to be China invading Taiwan. The difference is the U.S. has a much stronger, I think, defense arrangement and commitment to Taiwan than it's ever had with Ukraine. And so I think McCarthy is smart here. This is a risky move, but it's smart because if the Chinese were to make any moves on the Taiwan rigi, that would be probably the beginning of World War III in the way that the U- Ukraine situation is not. Right. And so the Chinese are looking at Biden saying, what can we get away with? How far can we push it? And they think they can do something with him. And then basically, you know, once it's over, once they go in to take it over and they do it with with force or whatever, it's kind of over. And the fact is that the Biden administration is probably not going to do much. Uh, a Trump, Listen, a Trump administration, this would never happen. No. Like the guy or hate the guy, he's telling you right up front where you are. You do not cross this line. On the other hand, he never would have crossed the line in, in um, Ukraine. You're right. Would to go ahead and say, oh, that never would have happened on Trump's we're gonna go. We're going to go ahead and put NATO right up next to Russia. No wonder Russia is going to be upset. We wouldn't want to have, you know, uh, Russian missiles off, the, off of Mexico, would right. we? Nope. So... Coming up, the Biden administration proposes a weird rule on men and women's sports, and the Supreme Court denies an emergency petition and lets men compete against women. Don't change that dial. This is the Weekend Answer Easter edition. Hope you and your families are well. Talking about some culture war and legal issues, and it's all transgender issues dealing with the Supreme Court. Kansas, Idaho, it's just happening everywhere. We have a mom in Maine who sued the school district for secretly giving her 13-year-old daughter a chest binder without permission. But talking about first what happened with the Supreme Court. So West Virginia passed a bill bans men from playing women's sports. And there was some lawsuit over it. There's some litigation. It went through the district court in Virginia. It went to the appellate court. Went up to the Supreme Court on an emergency basis. And what West Virginia was basically asking was, hey, will you hear our case on an emergency basis without us going through the full litigation at all levels? And the Supreme Court said no. It, de- it denied an emergency petition. So for now, what that means is transgender women, also known as men, can compete against women in West Virginia, but not the end of the story, but it's also not the headline that the media is portraying it to be. Yeah. And I mean, this issue is just getting bigger and bigger and bigger. We didn't realize is this transgender stuff has been going on for a while, for like, you know, dozens of years, this stuff's been going on. It's gotten worse and worse and worse. And the issue here is, and, and is this whole thing with, you know, 
we've had gay men and gay women for thousands of years. Forever, right. And, and you have kids that grow up that you'll, you'll talk to people that are gay and they'll say, I knew from the time I was a kid I was gay. They just would, they'll just tell you that. What we have now is we have kids that are probably just gay being told, oh, no, you're in the wrong body. You're not a man who likes another man. You're, a, you're, you're supposed to be a woman. Right. So go ahead. And, and by the way, we're going to do this real natural way. We're going to cut something off. Yeah, or give you chemical castration. Ca- yeah, we're going to do something bizarre to your body. And this has just gotten absolutely out of hand. And I'm telling you, if the public doesn't keep on fighting this issue and keep on going after it, this is going to continue to happen. To sit there and call this gender-affirming care, we're going to do an operation on you? This is crazy. It's totally crazy. So a couple of things happened this last week. As you mentioned, the Supreme Court denies the emergency appeal by West Virginia. Kansas bans men from playing in women's sports. And Indiana and Idaho ban gender-affirming care, which causes the White House press secretary to have a meltdown. J.J., clip number two. This has been one of the worst weeks for, of 2023 so far in terms of anti-LGBTQ bills becoming law in states across America. Yes, it's crazy. I mean, this this administration is so caught up on genitalia, what you have, what you don't have, if you're a woman or a man, all this kind of garbage, and not looking at what do we have to get done in this country to move things through. We just about had a banking meltdown here in the last few weeks. Well, and we're we get, still on the precipice of it. It could we, still happen. It still could happen. We've got right. all these other situations happening in the country, and we're talking about somebody's gender and who's doing something, and we go ahead and get these people that, you know, in my day, maybe I'm just old, were called cross-dressers. They like to dress up as a woman, and now we're calling those people, you know, uh, executives in the White House. It, it just makes no sense, but they want to say, we're all for this group. And then you get this spokesperson who, I mean, what she was the first, what, gay... Black, yeah, black, black immigrant. Immigrant. Yeah. They had to add all these things up to say how proud it was. She can't do her job, and then she gets there and goes, "How we're so proud of what we're doing for the LGBT. And because, listen... They're smart people when it comes to politics. There is a whole faction of people out there that are in these groups that will get behind this administration no matter what. And they know that they can keep on changing the conversation and how the Americans look at it by changing language. And so so they'll get more and more people, Republicans included, to kind of go, oh, well, that gender-affirming care. Or you know what? If you don't get this operation, the big thing they tell the parents, if you don't do the operation on your child, your child will probably commit suicide. Yeah, and that, that's what the White House always hangs its hat on. J.J., clip number one here. More than 50% of transgender youth in the U.S., which is estimated to be more than 150,000 kids, live in states in which transgender youth have lost access to or at risk of losing access to gender-affirming care. Look, this is awful news. Let's be very clear about that. LGBTQI plus kids are resilient. They are fierce. They fight back. They're not going anywhere. And we have their back. This administration has their back. Why they waste, you know, three minutes on this? Because These aren't fierce kids. This, these are kids that are confused, okay? Let me explain. There are two genders. There's male and there's female. There's some issues of some people of how their body turned out that didn't work out exactly, a minute, de minimis number. But there's male and female. What we do know is there's a lot of mental issues that people have. There's hundreds of mental issues they have, and that's where they need the help. You don't go to them and say, oh, you're, you're feeling like a woman today, so... Everybody gets behind you. Let's chop something off. Right. And it's insane than that because it says to someone who's young and confused, 
that if they say, oh, I'm, you know, if you're a biological girl, you say you're a boy, and you go, oh, you are a boy, then it tells them something is wrong with them. Right. And that, oh, if we just make all these radical changes, you'll be who you want to be. But you're seven years old. You right. don't know. Now, I think the Biden administration realizes this is not going as well as they thought. There's some obvious pushback and blowback happening, especially with girls' sports, when you have men competing and winning all the trophies. So this last week, the Biden administration, the labor, or sorry, Ed Department, proposes an amendment to Title IX and a new rule that's going to do a couple things. It's going to, number one, it's going to prohibit what they're saying is total bans on men playing women's sports. But at the same time, the White House was very clear that this new rule from the Education Department would give schools flexibility to disallow men from competing for uh, competition reasons, for safety reasons, for other reasons. So, Riggy, it seems like the White House is realizing this, you know, absolutism is not working out. And as we approach an election year later this year, and especially next year, we need to be seen to be smart because if they alienate too many suburban women whose daughters are getting beaten up or beaten by men in sports, this is not going to work out well electorally. Yeah, and in your suburban schools, you're going to see some of the schools, you know, back off. But you're going to see a lot of schools go out there and say, oh, no, 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 we have to go ahead and do that. So he gets he gets both of it. He goes to, gets to say, hey, I, I'm stopping it in places that it shouldn't be. But if you want to go ahead, school, to, and do that and, and, and not ban and allow men to go ahead and play against women, we're going to let you do it. I'm not going to get in the way of it. Right, which is so crazy because what's the default going to be? You know, So even if you're in a suburban, somewhat conservative area, if the school administrators are all woke union idiots, what do you think is going to happen? It's not going to help these parents. So if the White House goes, oh, well, we have this formula or this you know, procedure where you can have some carve-outs and have not men not competing against women, what's the school going to do? They don't well, care. Well, they want federal funding. Exactly. They want their federal funding, and the, and the administration can always say, we want the locals to decide what they want to do in their own area, which they never do otherwise. They, they bring the federal government to control every point of your life. But on issues like that, we'll, we'll let the locals go ahead and do what they want to do. Yeah, and then the locals will say, we want this, and the administrators are going to say, well, we hear you, but if you want funding for the school, we have to toe the line here. Right. Right? Right. So what, what's going to happen? I'll tell you what's going to happen is you're going to continue to see men stealing opportunities and trophies from women. And unless parents wake up and you know make a fit out of this, it's going to keep going because the Biden administration could not care less about women. This is going the wrong way. Coming up, some good news about California and Utah snowpacks and our droughts. Be right back. LGBTQI plus kids are resilient. They are fierce. They fight back. They're not going anywhere. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the show. This is The Weekend Answer, your weekend source for news, politics, opinion, and hate speech and misinformation. Ending the show on a good high note, dealing with all the weather we've been having and the snowpack. And, Riggy, normally we would not talk about snowpack, but we do in this show, in this segment, because this is actually really good news for some western states, Colorado, Utah, California, because we've been dealing with some drought conditions the last couple of years, the weather Nazis, the green crazies that are predicting you know, droughts forever, no snow, no rain. And then we just got walloped this year. Then we got walloped again. And so the snowpack is so high in some of these states, highest on record in California since we've been keeping records since 1950. But the good news is when the snow starts melting, the drought will end. 
Yeah, and basically, if you're back east, you know, you're used to getting your rain all the time. You don't think any of it. Rain and water is not a big deal. On the west, it's a massive deal because we're using it for farms. We're using it for people. There's, you know, water politics is amazing that goes on between these different states. And here we are breaking records, breaking 100-year records of what the snowpack looks like. And this is after we were told by all the environmentalists the world's going to end. There's no more skiing. There's no more water. There's no more anything else. You're just going to have to leave. And now we're finding that we were in the lowest levels of of, uh, of drought, the worst levels of drought, those are over with. Those are gone completely. And no, we're not going to go fill up Lake Powell in one year. But the, the the reversal of the amount of water is just unbelievable. And then you've got all these big dam systems throughout the state that are releasing water because they're already topping out uh, what they need. And we haven't even done the, the, the melt yet, the spring melt. And so what will happen is you'll just be flooding areas. So you literally have to just dump water. We don't keep enough places to store water, so we dump it, dump it, dump it, and until where does it end up? The, the ocean. ocean. <laughs> yeah, beautiful. Now, so the good news, this is the first time since 2020 that California is not going to be considered in a drought of any severity, so which should mean there should be less restrictions on water in the spring and summer months. Don't count on it because even though God can send the rain, he can't change the voters and can't change the politicians in Sacramento. But, Riggy, the big thing is, like, we need to be building more reservoirs, and they need to be doing stuff. But as we talked about sort of off-air, in the Central Valley, they're flooding their fields to fill up the aquifers. This is actually good news for the farmers up there. Yeah, long-term, it's excellent news for the farmers. I mean, some of these farms are completely underwater, and they they can't be farmed. Right. But you're going to go ahead and fill up the aquifer, and that's where they've been pumping the water out for 100 years, and the aquifer has been going down, down, down for years. Yeah, so good news for them. That's going to do it for us. Hope you have a great Easter weekend. We'll catch you next week, and take care.